Good morning, everyone. I trust you are all well. So today is the 4th of October, and I counted back the days. And I counted 197 days since we last met together. So this is quite an auspicious occasion. I trust you are all well. So last week, Craig took us through 1 John chapter 1, and we looked at light and darkness, sin and forgiveness. And Craig reminded us of how we oftentimes view ourselves in the light of sin. And how we sometimes rationalize sin to ourselves. And this then oftentimes leads us to believing that sin doesn't affect us or those around us. And as we looked at the book of First John, we could see that John was helping us here by holding up a mirror so that we can see if we truly are walking in the light. So this morning we are going to continue with the book of First John and we are going to be looking at chapter 2, but we'll be looking at verses 3 to 11. If you've got your Bibles handy, um, you can turn to chapter 2, verses 3 to 11, and we'll read those verses. And then we'll unpack some of, some of the truth that is revealed there. From verse 3 it says, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Verse 7 Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. In verse 11, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now, over the last few months, we have had a lot of changes in how we were to participate in society. We found ourselves being severely restricted in public spaces. And along with these restrictions came certain changes in laws. And so for a while, alcohol was banned, as we can remember, and smoking was banned. And there were certain rules after a hard lockdown about what social gatherings are to be like under the new laws we had. So what happened was, as we know, the president made an announcement on a particular evening in the week, stating how the laws were going to change. However, Following on from his speech, the details, the, the fine print, the implications of the new laws would be gazetted and published and made available to the public. 
And what this gazetted document would do is just state what the details of the new law entails. Now, this is what John is doing here. Jesus had given the commandments, and John helps us here to understand the details. So as we read through 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, we see truths being repeated and expounded upon. And so we see John here talking about light, darkness, sin, love, and bringing deeper understanding to the themes that had already been taught by Jesus. And so there is this, as John writes, this cyclical repetition, which is a very Jewish way of communicating truth, using contrasts like light and dark, good and evil, life and death, etc., etc. And all this is to help followers grow and continue to stand. So John kicks off the section we just read quite definitively in such a way that would make you understand immediately where you stand with Jesus. He starts by saying that if we know him and love him, we will obey him and keep his commandments. And the obvious implication there is if you don't keep his commandments, then you don't love him. Now I'd like you just to consider this for a moment. I'm sure that that most of us here are all familiar with the five love languages that was um, written by Gary Chapman. Now, Gary Chapman suggests that there are five primary ways in which people perceive love from others. So he um, introduces his five primary love languages as the first one being words of affirmation, then there's acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, and the last one is physical touch. So let me ask you, what is your love language? How do you give and receive love? Now, Cindy, my wife's primary love language is quality time. And so over the lockdown, we had lots of quality time being um, at home all the time. So, So I would imagine that she now feels very fulfilled because we had all of this quality time. Now, have you ever considered that God may have a primary love language? Is it possible that you have been trying to show God that you love him, but you have not been speaking his love language? Could it be that intimacy with him will be difficult to achieve if you don't learn to speak his love language? Now, let's suggest that God does have a primary love language. And let's propose that his love language is obedience. Now, I realize that this doesn't necessarily fit the categories of love languages, but it's not supposed to. You know, God has his own rules and, and he makes his own categories. Now, as a result of the fact that God's love could be unique, John instructs us here on how to speak God's love language. 
for the sake of getting a deeper understanding. And so he insists to obey God is to keep his commands and love our brothers and sisters as we love ourselves. John here ties knowing, loving God with obedience and love for others. In these nine verses that we've read, and I've read from the ESV, it's important to note that John uses the word commandment six times. It appears that the theme of being keepers of God's commandments is very important. And in verse 7, John starts to speak about the new commandment versus the old commandment. This may be because John was overseeing a number of house churches that were made up of predominantly Jewish believers, and so this would have spoken to them. Now, I've found that whenever we speak about keeping God's commandments, we invariably tend to think Old Testament. And when we sometimes do this, we find ourselves maybe feeling a bit confused because we remember scriptures like Romans chapter 6 verse 14, which says, you are no longer under law, but under grace. And then there's also Romans 3 verse 31, which says, do we then overthrow the law by faith? By no means, on the contrary, we uphold the law. So a question I want us to look at just for a few minutes is, is there a line between the Old Testament commandments and Jesus' commandments, as John is talking about here? Because Jesus also said that he didn't come to do away with the Old Testament commandments, but to bring them to fulfillment. Now, the Ten Commandments of Moses were the first ten However, there were 603 commandments that followed. So there were many laws or commandments that needed to be kept. The Old Testament commandments or laws, as they are also called, as part of the covenant that God had with the people of Israel, can be understood to have three dimensions. Ceremonial, civil and moral. Now, the ceremonial law related specifically to Israel's worship, and we can read about that in Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 2, for example. Its primary purpose was to point forward to Jesus Christ. And these laws, therefore, were no longer necessary after Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, while we are no longer bounded or bound by ceremonial law, the principles behind them to worship and love a holy God still apply. And Jesus was often accused by the Pharisees of violating ceremonial law. Then secondly, there's the civil law. The civil law applied to daily living in Israel. And we can read about that in Deuteronomy chapter 24, for example. Now, because our modern-day society and culture are so radically different from that time and that setting, all of these guidelines cannot be followed specifically. But again, 
the principles behind the commands are timeless and should guide our conduct. And Jesus himself demonstrated these principles through example. And thirdly, there's, there's the model law, such as the Ten Commandments, which is in fact the direct command of God and it requires obedience. We, we read about them in Exodus chapter 20. And as you can recall, they say, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not lie, you shall not commit adultery, etc., etc. The moral law of God reveals the nature and the will of God, and it still applies to us today. None of us here feel that we can kill or steal or lie, etc., etc. And Jesus obeyed the moral law completely. Now, God's laws were given to help people love him with all their hearts and minds. Throughout Israel's history, however, these laws had often been misquoted, they'd often been misapplied as well. But by Jesus' time, religious leaders had turned the commandments into a confusing mess of rules. But when Jesus came, he talked about a new way to understand God's law. Jesus was actually trying to bring people back to its original purpose. Jesus did not speak against the law itself, but against the abuses and the excesses to which it had been subjected. John also writes in John chapter 1 and verse 17, he says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So when Jesus came and started to teach and minister to people about the kingdom of God being accessible through him, he was saying that his followers needed a different kind of righteousness altogether. This was a transition from the kind of righteousness that the Old Testament um, commandments and law brought. A righteousness that was out of love for God, not just a more intense version of the Pharisees' obedience, which in fact was mere legal obedience. Now, Jeremiah prophetically described this um, transition and what it would be like in chapter 31, verses 31 to 33. This is how Jeremiah describes it. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Verse 33. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now coming back to John, First uh, John here. John is speaking here as a participant of this covenant that Jeremiah described back then, just like us. 
about a different kind of obedience unto God. An obedience that is expressed not only through love for God, but also with love towards others. So we see that the new commandment that John is speaking of here is fulfilled in love. Now I think that Paul does a very good job of helping us understand more of the detail of what John is saying here when he writes to the church in Rome. In Romans chapter 13 verses 8 to 10, this is what Paul writes, he says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And then he says it again, virtually exactly the same thing when he writes to the church in Galatia. In chapter 5 and verse 14, he says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then, of course, as we know it, Jesus said it in Matthew 7 and, and 12. And James, the brother of Jesus, also said it in chapter 2 and verse 8. So what does this new commandment mean to us now? How do we as followers who abide in Jesus walk in the same way in which he walked? Now as we think about this, we must be careful to remember that love is not a work that we do on our own to show ourselves praiseworthy to God. Love is rather the fruit of faith in the promises of God. So how that works is genuine love will lead to great labor or work. But it is not synonymous with labor. Love is the fruit that is deeper than labor. Deeper than just doing good things. And it leads to labor. And it also enables labor. So this love that comes from God is able to release. It is able to unlock more than we sometimes believe it can. Now I think that through experience, through life experience, we all know that there are some people who labor for God and their brothers and sisters, but they are not doing it out of love. Love is more than religious practices and humanitarian services and social justice. And so that's why we think Paul can say in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 3, If I give away all I have and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So we can do a whole lot of good things for our neighbors. But if we don't have love for them and for God, we are noisy gongs or clanging cymbals, as Paul describes it, and we gain nothing. So if we sustain our proposal from earlier on, 
that God's love language is obedience. And we really want to give and receive love in our relationship with Jesus. Then the expression of this love for him will lead us to be, in the words of Paul, patient and kind. We won't envy and boast or be arrogant. We won't be rude. We won't insist on our own way. We won't refrain from um, not being irritable, but we will refrain from being irritable or resentful. We won't rejoice at wrongdoing, but we will rejoice with the truth. We will bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things, and we will never stop doing these things. Now that, I believe, what John is saying here to us is what keeping Jesus' commandments looks like for us now. So in closing, I, th I think with the fruit of being keepers of his commandments, we will continue to be able to labor in things like support for Lerato's hope and continuing in helping others with our care for COVID fund and all our other ministries as, as well. And we will continue to labor in remembering each other in prayer. And we will reach out to one another when we see someone in need during this difficult, difficult season. And keeping his new commandment will help us to see clearer, I think, that we are living in a fallen world that needs to come to him. And so the outworking of that will then lead us to invite people into our spaces. And this will ultimately lead to a realization of seeing God's kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the new commandment that you give us. And we thank you that you even give us your Holy Spirit that enables us to be keepers of this new commandment. Lord, as we, as we depart from one another, as we continue just to meditate on your word, we ask that you would just come and cement this truth again in our hearts. Continue to shape us and mold us ever more into the image of Jesus because we eagerly desire to see your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.